Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And our special guest today is Daniel Blomberg with Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. And he is the senior counsel. Uh, and we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking today about religious discrimination at our college campuses. And in particular, uh, a case that was just settled recently at the University of Iowa. Daniel, thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Daniel, can you talk a little bit about Beckett and what you do and, you know, what kind of, you know, how you're able to help people, like what we're going to talk about, about InterVarsity at the University of Iowa? Yeah, absolutely. So Beckett is a nonprofit law firm that represents people of all faith backgrounds to defend religious liberty for everyone. Uh, from our perspective, uh, if anyone has uh, de- being denied their religious liberty by the government, then everyone is losing an important part of what uh, what religious liberty is. And so we re- uh, represent people from all different faith backgrounds, from Anglican to Zoroastrian and everyone in between. And, um, you know, I personally have represented uh, Muslims and Protestants and Catholics and Sikhs and uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know, folks from all different backgrounds. And the, the thing that unites them is that they want to serve their God as best they can. And in, for some, in some way or for some reason, the government is preventing them from doing that. So when we represent the Little Sisters of the Poor, and we were in court there in Denver, and we went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, we were representing the Little Sisters of the Poor because the government was trying to force them to do something that violated their faith. And in that case, it was, you know, force them to include contraceptives and abortion-inducing drugs in the in their health insurance plans. And in fact, that case is gone to the Supreme Court twice, we've won twice, and unfortunately we're back there again because after beating the federal government, uh, some states decided to get involved and try to cause trouble. So uh, we actually just had to file another cert petition on behalf of Little Sisters of the Poor just uh, earlier last uh, last month. I was going to say, brings my question is, uh, based on what you're saying, is this is this is going on all over the place, and it's not getting any better, right? I mean, the, the attacks continue and continue. Yes and no. Yes and no. So you're right that we're we see challenges coming up all over the country, and uh, you know from sea to shining sea, and from north to south, and and everywhere in between. Um, but but one of the things that we do see as well is that we see that religious people who are sincerely trying to live their faith are winning in court. You know, the little sisters won in court. Twice, unfortunately, they're having to win in court the three time, three times, and we're hoping the third time's a charm. But uh, but the same is true for cases like the one we're here to talk about today. You know, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship is one of several re- religious student groups that have been kicked off campuses around the country for the for the sin of having the temerity of asking their their leaders, the leaders who lead them in prayer and worship and Bible study, to actually believe in those things, to believe in the God the group is praying to, and. Uh, you know, that's really wrong, and it's harmful, and it's dangerous for these groups and for other groups that look and see the kinds of, you know, what the university is doing to them. Uh, but the student groups are winning, right? They're winning, and uh, we think they're going to continue to win because the law is on their side. So, yes, the challenges are arising. Yes, they're a big problem, but when people stand up and they do this in the right way, then they will win uh, quite often. Well, and that's that's the interesting thing. I mean, you you see, one way have the law on their on their side, on our side, but the other thing is the the universities are knuckleheads. I mean, they just discriminate at will. It's not even like they're, you know, using their brains. Because 
you know, reading the <clears throat> the article that came out on on Beckett, you know, vice president and other officers at the University of Iowa must pay out of their own pockets for discriminating against religious student groups. And I don't want to put the cart before the horse, in particular InterVarsity, who you re- represented. But, I mean, it's so egregious that even the judges are like, what are you guys doing? Yeah, well, it, it is. It is. And, un- and unfortunately, I think, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, one of those situations where, that, where people haven't thought through the implications of their decision. They think, you know, it's okay to stop religious people from doing these kind of things because, oh, golly, that's discriminatory. When a religious person asks that other people share their faith in these, in these private religious student groups, but then they turn around and say, but, you know, it's actually respectful of diversity and respectful of differences when we allow a group that, uh, like a fraternity, a sorority, to require both its members and its leaders to, uh, to be a member of a same sex or to allow a political group or an ideological group to, uh, to require their members and leaders to agree with the mission of the group. They're like, you know, that's what diversity is. And they're right when they say that. They're just wrong when they treat religious groups differently. Well, and what was exactly, what was the case with InterVarsity? And I know there were other groups that were also kicked off the campus at the University of Iowa. But what was this, what was the particular case in terms of the reason they were kicked off the campus? The reason they were kicked off the campus, the only reason that InterVarsity was deregistered by the campus was because just like they had for over 25 years before, they asked their leaders to agree with their faith. That was it. That was the only reason the university said, look, your constitution says your leaders have to be Christians. We get it that you're a Christian organization. We get it that this matters to you, but that's discriminatory, and we can't allow you to do that. And the student group responded. Actually, I thought they were, they were great. They were very respectful, um, and they said, listen, we, we don't want to be discriminatory. Everyone is welcome to come to our meetings. We invite everyone to come, but this is a matter of basic integrity when we're asking our leaders to lead the group in prayer and worship and Bible study, you know, they, they need to believe in the things that they're doing. And we don't want to put them in a spot where they don't. And we don't want to put other people in a spot where they're being led by somebody who, who doesn't believe the things that are coming out of their mouth. And uh, the university said, you know, that's too bad. You know, we get it. We get what you're saying, but that's too bad. You're discriminators and you're gone. And so they kicked off InterVarsity. They kicked off a uh, a Muslim student group, they kicked off a, a Sikh student group, they kicked off a bunch of other Protestant groups on campus, uh, including one that served particularly uh, Protestant Christians from Chinese backgrounds. Um, and, you know, it was it was really remarkable because, and what made this such a clear case for the judge, and why, like you said, you're, you're right, the judge was, was very uh, displeased with the university's conduct here, is that at the same time that the university had no no willingness to reasonably accommodate InterVarsity and these other religious student groups, as the university had for decades previously, the same time that they were looking so hard at these religious student groups, they turned around and they said to dozens and dozens and dozens of other student groups, and they said, yeah, you guys can discriminate based on race. You can discriminate based on sex. You can discriminate based on sexual orientation and gender identity and religion, even in certain instances for favored groups. Um, because we, we support your mission. We support what you're doing. We think that's a good thing. And so we're going to give you an accommodation. We're going to accommodate your mission and the way you organize yourself. We're just going to treat these religious people differently. And that's, that violates so many different parts of, of the First Amendment. <laughs> so that's, that's what caused the... That anybody in their right mind would think, what are you doing? I mean, I, I, I love the law. I mean, the court actually used the word ludicrous 
and incredibly baffling. That's right. That's right. At the hearing that we had just a, just about less than a week before the decision came down, actually, that was exactly what the judge said. He said, I think it's the position you're taking here is ludicrous, and it's incredibly baffling to me that you're taking this position after she had already issued several orders in a previous related case against the same officials enforcing the same policy against a slightly different religious group. And she said, guys, you can't selectively enforce your policy. You can't, what's good for the goose has to be good for the gander, right? And so you can't say religious groups are out and secular groups are in. But that's what they were doing, and the judge called them on it. And that's why she found it incredibly baffling that, that she even had to be issuing another decision on this. And that's why those university officials were found to be personally liable. Not only did they break the law, they broke the law in a way that was clearly established and any reasonable person would know you can't keep discriminating like that. Well, it's just it's, it's mind-boggling that these are people running universities that don't have enough common sense to even see what they're doing. It makes no sense. I mean, I, how, how do you defend a double standard in court? I mean, geez, that must be tough for their attorneys they even come up with an argument to say how, how they can draw the line and do that kind of stuff. Well, and that's why they keep losing. That's why they keep losing. This isn't, like I said, this isn't the first time they've lost. They lost in a previous part of the case, a uh, previous related case on behalf of a, a very small student group, actually one that had just started there at the University of Iowa called Business Leaders in Christ or Blink. And, um, and that, that student group, again, was asking its leaders to share its faith. And the university, again, said, you know, you can't do that. That's discriminatory and kicked them off campus. And, uh, and then we have another case against the Wayne State University in Michigan where Wayne State said the same thing to InterVarsity. They said, guys, you can't ask your leaders to share your faith, and if you do, you're gone. And they kicked them off, and they forced them to, you know, instead of being able to join other student groups, you know, doing important recruitment activities, which is really crucial, you know, for your student group to remain alive and effective, they had to they forced them to go sit out in the hall. They had to pay for the privilege of sitting out in the hall away from everybody else. They had to pay to, to access campus space, which meant they had to cancel a lot of meetings because they couldn't afford it. Um, and, and this isn't just restricted to the Midwest, you know, Michigan and, and Iowa and, and that kind of stuff. University of Colorado did the same thing to a Christian student group not that long ago, and the, the lawsuit just settled last spring. Um, so these, these situations are popping up all over the country. I personally am involved with other student groups and, um, and representing them, and they've had, we've had situations come up in Washington State and in California and in Texas and in Florida and in Maine and New York and Missouri, just all around the country, including one that actually just recently resolved in another, another university in Colorado. So all around the country, these kind of situations are coming up, and what's really good about the decision that we just got in the InterVarsity case in Iowa is now university administrators are going to have <laughs> this will help this will help them develop common sense. This will help them develop common sense. Yeah, that's like, hey, honey, I need to bring the checkbook just in case this judgment doesn't go our way. Yeah, it's it's you know it it and a lot of times you know you're you're a government employee, right? Your boss is telling you this is what you have to do, this is the way, walk you in it, sort of thing. But now if you're the government employee, you look over to the university. Of Iowa, and you think, wait a second, that didn't go so well for them. I need to push back on this before I break the law, before I discriminate against religious people. I need to tell my my boss, hey, listen, I, you can do this, but I can't do this because the law says I can't. Well, and you keep getting rulings in your favor. I mean, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. And based on what you're saying, <laughs> as it's popping up all over the country, it seems like 
they're somehow they haven't gotten that message. Well, and part of the problem here, uh, part of the problem is that there was a a bad Supreme Court decision in 2010 called Christian Legal Society versus Martinez. And that case dealt with facts that don't exist in the real world. Basically, the the record that had come up in that case suggested, stipulated, um, that the university had something called an all-comers policy. And that's basically where if you want to be a student group on our campus, you can call yourself whatever you want, but you have to let everybody who wants to be a member and you have to let everybody who wants to be a leader. You don't, there's no, no organizational distinctives, no organizational mission that you can use to limit, you know, who's going to run your organization. And obviously, that doesn't make any sense. And obviously, that doesn't really work because if you're a group that's defined by a mission and you have people who lead the group who disagree with that mission, your group's going to die, right? And, uh, and so the, the, university, uh, the university in that case, the Supreme Court back in 2010, they won their case because they had these made-up facts that suggested a world that doesn't really exist. They said, university, the Supreme Court said, well, it's not discrimination if you're forcing everybody to uh, to abide by these same silly rules. And the court specifically said, we're not saying these rules are okay. We're not saying they're smart. We're just saying if you're if they're going to make everybody abide by the same rules, then yeah, that's probably okay on the record that we're looking at. So, but that's not on a hypothetical case. It, well, yeah, basically, basically, the record in that case set things up in such a way that the court was able to reach that result. But that's not the way the real world works. The real world looks like these other cases where you have hundreds of student groups. And the reason why there are hundreds of student groups in the universities is because universities have found time and time and time again that students are more likely to graduate, they're more likely to do well in, in college if they have support networks that they can be a part of, that, you know, that rally around common interests. Exactly. Community. Right, and the church understands this. The church gets community, and so religious student groups are, by and large, welcome parts of most university campuses. Right, and most university administrators, when you come and you you flag this problem for them, say, "Hey, you're letting the political groups, you know, organize around their mission. You got to let us religious groups do the same thing." Most university administrators get it. Most of the time, they say, "Oh, you're right. Sorry, made a mistake there. Please come on in." Right. And, and that's in, the, in one of the to the religious groups, you know, in their you know, mark in their favor is they're a big part of the campus. They help out. They support the campus, and that was true at the University of Iowa too. And one of the tragic things there is university uh, intervarsity group there had been an award-winning part of the campus. The the campus had recognized them for the con- contributions they made to diversity and to building up, welcoming everyone in, and then they kicked them off because they were religious. I work at Catholic Charities. I mean, I can't imagine an atheist running Catholic Charities trying to extend the healing ministry of Jesus Christ to the poor and those in need. I mean, it's it's just such a ridiculous concept that somebody who doesn't share the faith of a particular group has to to be able to run it. I mean, this is the insane thing you can come up with. Yeah, well, and and this is one of the things that the Supreme Court actually talked about in a related line of cases called the, the ministerial exception. And this is the the right under both religion clauses, both the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause, for religious groups to select the people who speak their faith and who lead their organizations. And the Supreme Court said, listen, personnel is policy, basically, right? That you cannot separate the messenger from the message. And in the Christian faith, this is, you know, this is 
probably best exemplified in that the Word became flesh, right? The incarnation of Jesus Christ is a reflection of the idea that you can't separate the message from the messenger. So if they're saying one thing, but then doing another, that, that incongruity is going to change the message. And so that's precise, and this is, I think, what you were driving at. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it would be a fundamental lack of integrity for both the organization, for both Catholic Charities, and for an atheist who is running Catholic Charities to, to bring, come together on that, you know, for an atheist to run the organization, because he doesn't believe in the mission, and the mission is something that's different from who he is. And so you'd want to, you know, it'd be great if the atheist goes and starts his own way of serving people. Great, go for it. But to force those, to use the government to force those two entities, those two together, is what is fundamentally a violation of not just religious liberty, but the separation of church and state, right? When you've got the government reaching into a religious organization and says, this is who your leader's going to be, that's exactly the kind of thing that our founding fathers said, uh-uh, to when they put this establishment clause together, because they recognized that's how the Church of England controlled the church, by forcing religious groups, by churches, to select, you know, to, to pick certain leaders. You know, so they put... They put in their own hand-picked leaders, and those leaders, of course, had more fealty to the government than they had to the Word of God. And that was what the uh, the founders were seeking to avoid when they put the uh, Establishment Clause and Free Exercise Clause together. Well, I mean, basically, we're trying to put square pegs in the round holes, and, and that never works, no matter how big a mallet you have. And the war on religion just continues and continues, and be honest we don't see any i don't see any end in sight so i mean to have groups like yours out there to defend those who let's be honest would not be able to defend themselves if you guys didn't exist well and and that's that's a good point so we we represent not just people of all faiths and all backgrounds but we represent people for free so when intervarsity came to us we weren't charging them we weren't charging these students so they get back on campus you know, business leaders in Christ, which is just a, a handful of, of college students, came to us. We didn't say, you know, it's going to cost D.C. lawyer rates for us to represent you. So we have ministry partners who come together, you know, people who partner with us to support our, our mission and our organization. Now, we're not, we're not a religious organization. We have people from all religious backgrounds who come to us, but they come to us oftentimes at a sense of their own ministry back, you know, uh, motivation. Right? They want to support religious liberty for everybody because they know unless religious liberty is supported for everybody, it's not safe for anybody. So can you give people the website if they want to find out more about what Beckett's doing, if they want to support what you guys are doing? How do they find out more and to keep abreast of all these cases that you're talking about? Because my guess is you guys, you know, people can go on the website and find what's going on in Texas or California if you happen to have an active case. That's exactly right. So they should go to BeckettLaw.org. Now, here, this is important. Beckett is spelled with one T. <laughs> we normally we get a lot of two Ts, and you, you won't find us that way. But Beckett, B-E-C-K-E-T, Law, L-A-W, dot org. And you'll find out about the Little Sisters of the Poor. You'll find out about the InterVarsity cases. You'll find out about the cases that we have in, in Michigan and in Philadelphia representing uh, Catholic um, uh, foster care agencies, one of which is headed to the Supreme Court, one of which won a landmark victory in a Michigan federal district court. So we have cases going on around the country from people all different faith backgrounds to vindicate the fundamental right that the government can't tell you to disobey your God. 
And, uh, and like I said earlier, these are tough cases. They require people to stand up strategically and wisely, but they're winnable cases. There are cases that we are, we see over and over again when religious people engage, uh, you know, as innocent as doves, but wise as serpents, that we, we see these cases becoming, uh, cases that not just win, but they set precedent that protect other people to express their faith as well. Well, and in the end, right, we have logic on our side, we have common sense on our side, we have the law on our side. And so the other is really just mean-spirited. It may be because they are so angry at faith that they do stupid stuff. I mean, it's almost like they, they're blind and they don't see how ludicrous they are when they go after a small group that actually adds value to the campus and try to get them off off the campus just because of an ideology that makes no sense. Well, it's it's important that the truth be a teacher. That's certainly true. It's important that we that we vindicate the principle of religious liberty, the fundamental right of religious liberty, because you know it's it's not it's not guaranteed. You look around the world; it's not like religious liberty is the the default. It's not the starting place. It's something that our founders had to fight and die for. It's something that we have to vigorously pursue as a people because it's not going to protect itself. Right, and we can't just protect our own team. We can't just say, "Well, I've got my faith, and my faith is the part of the faith that's going to be protected. I'm not going to worry about the other guys." Because when we do it that way, what we're really saying is, "I don't believe in religious liberty. I believe in religious preference. I want Uncle Sam helping out my team and not anybody else." Right? That's not going to ultimately have stability, and for a variety of different reasons. One of which is it's not it's not a vindication of the fundamental right, the fundamental right that's rooted in human dignity. Of religious liberty for all. Well, and it's just short-sighted. I mean, when you're when you're just looking out for yourself, in the end, you don't care about anybody else but yourself. And we should be fighting for all people to have religious freedom. I mean, whether you're Catholic, Muslim, Mormon, whatever your faith background, you want everybody to be to live their faith out in the public square because the minute one can't, they're coming after you next. That's that's very true. That's very true. And and to to be clear too, religious liberty doesn't mean religious pluralism in the sense of all religions are equally true. We have vigorous theological debates <laughs> within the office. We have, you know, with, with, you know, and we have clients who disagree with one another, clients who wouldn't want to represent each other, right? But um, and that's that's fine. That's good. You know, it's good that we disagree. The issue is whether we're going to protect our right to disagree, whether we're going to let the government put a finger on the scales or even put our opponents in jail. Um, so that we can we can feel like we're right, and of course we don't want that because if we're having to rely on Uncle Sam to win the argument, then we're not really winning the argument. Well, that's true, and and we saw you know the Congress this past year really pushing the Equality Act, which is anything but an Equality Act. It's an inequality act, and that would be devastating to religious liberty if someday that ever passed. Both both chambers and the president signed it. That would be a train wreck. It's incredibly crucial. That as we move, you know, as our society changes, that we stay strong on the things that make us who we are. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, you know, the separation of powers that recognizes that there's, there needs to be space for little platoons of society where people can have the freedom to define who they are without Uncle Sam telling them who they have to be. Well, yeah, anytime, anytime the government gets in charge and starts telling us what to do, I mean, they can't even run a post office. Without losing billions of dollars, so, I mean, you know, you're you're put you're putting your uh, you're putting your faith and trust in in something that's never going to work. 
the government wasn't designed to run everything. It was designed to protect us and you know, give some common sense laws, but they shouldn't be dictating uh, a religious group being able to participate on a on a campus or how parents want to educate their children. Well, and, and our country is built on the idea, you know, reflected in the Declaration of Independence, that the rights the government protects aren't rights that it gives us as some sort of gift, but rather they are rights that pre-exist the government, that the government exists to protect, right? That's why we have a government, is for the, the arm of the state to create the space and protect the space for us to exercise our faith. Those are God-given rights. The government didn't give them to us. The government can't take them away. And when the government does do that, it's stepping outside the purpose for which it exists in our society. So the ruling that you had in Iowa, is that a precedent-setting case where other people are going to go back to that? Can each state just do their own thing? How does that work for somebody who doesn't really understand the legal system? Sure. So it only, you know, it's a federal district court, so it doesn't, require other other you know universities and other places in Iowa or around the country to do exactly what the court did there you know if we win uh, at a case, you know if you win a case at like the Iowa Supreme Court then that requires the, every every court in Iowa every state court in Iowa to do what the Iowa Supreme Court said by the same token if we win at the US Supreme Court that requires every federal court in the country and most state courts to do what the US Supreme Court said on those issues so we're at the district court level. We didn't set a precedent in that way, but we did set up, um, we did put a marker in place. And this is very important because what courts are looking at when they decide whether or not um, there somebody has violated the law, a government official has violated the law in a way that makes them personally liable, is you have to look around. And you have to say, has a court looked at these these kinds of facts in a way that it was clearly established? that a reasonable government official wouldn't do what this official did. And now, for every future case, we're, we're looking at these kind of situations, which, again, I said arise nationwide. We're going to be able to say, listen, you're on notice. This federal court told you that this is wrong. And if you go down this path, you're risking personal liability. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do it because it's a violation of the law. You also shouldn't do it because it's risky for you. It's a risky proposition. Well, and uh, I didn't. I didn't ask because I'm, I'm, I hope I know the answer. But they're not going to appeal this decision, are they? We don't know. I don't know. There's a case pending right now. You know, I mentioned earlier the Business Leaders in Christ case. That case we won at the district court level, and it is now pending before the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals on precisely this question on whether. It is clearly established that the government can't discriminate against religious viewpoints. And uh, we think the answer to that is going to be absolutely as clearly established. Uh, it's possible that the university is going to want to take this case up uh, to go stand alongside Blink while the Eighth Circuit considers it. We'll find that out here shortly. So we're getting ready to wrap up. Daniel, can you again give the website? How can people follow and even support what you guys are doing? Absolutely. BeckettLaw.org just one T, BeckettLaw.org.